A fantastic new video program has been produced by the Inspiration TV network that provides a fascinating, exciting, highly informative, and accurate overview of end-time Bible prophecy. For a review of it, stay tuned. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. I want to share with you today about an outstanding new video program that has been produced by the Inspiration TV Network. It is called Apocalypsis. The subtitle is The Final Warning. I was invited to participate in this program by serving as an expert commentator on end time Bible prophecy, and I declined the invitation. I did so because I was fed up with doing video interviews that were then edited to make me look foolish and were used as part of a video program attacking Bible prophecy. That had happened to me several times over the years, particularly with video crews from England. But the director of this video, a wonderful Christian man by the name of Ruben Landa, would not take no for an answer. He was persistent and he was adamant about the fact that the video was going to affirm Bible prophecy and not attack it. So, I finally gave in and agreed to be interviewed. And folks, all I can say now is that I am so glad I changed my mind because Mr. Landa has produced the finest video I have ever seen about end time Bible prophecy. In addition to me, he recruited some other outstanding Bible prophecy teachers to participate in the program. People like Ed Heinsohn from Liberty University, Ron Rhodes, a prolific Bible prophecy writer from Frisco, Texas. Don Perkins from According to Prophecy Ministries in San Diego, California. Teresa Garcia, a Bible prophecy teacher based in Columbia, Illinois. And Gary Frazier of Discovery Ministries in, Dallas, in the Dallas, Texas area. But folks, this is not a dry and boring video of interviews with scholars, not at all. It is an exciting visual presentation of the events leading up to the Tribulation. And then it takes you through the seven years of the Tribulation, year by year. To cover all that, the video runs a total of almost four hours in length. To give you an idea of the high quality of the video, let's take a look at the opening. Hanging in the emptiness of space, solemn, beautifully and wonderfully made is the planet Earth. Home to mankind and center stage for the most elaborate, awesome and important story ever lived, the history of mankind. Through its triumphs and failures, time has brought the collective human race to this moment, the modern day. Information flies throughout the planet at the speed of light. Science and knowledge have increased to unparalleled and unprecedented heights, bringing out the best in our God-given creative and imaginative potential. And yet, we're merely scratching the surface. This amazing progress has made of the inhabitants of the world an overly confident and arrogant race. Brewing underneath the haughtiness of mankind like a sleeping giant, 
is the approaching fulfillment of gruesome and fearsome prophecies predicted over millennia in the ancient writings of the Bible, foretelling a time of calamities like recorded history has never known, a period of death and dying, conflict and war, pestilence and famine, and a supernatural reckoning, a time when the literal wrath of God will be poured out over all creation, when the collective sinful debts of humanity will be reconciled. A time of a great tribulation. Well, as you can see, this is a first-class presentation. The video is divided into two parts. The first half focuses on what Daniel, Ezekiel, and Jesus have to say about the end times leading up to the tribulation. Events like Psalm 83 war and the war of Gog and Magog are covered in detail. Also, several possible scenarios are presented to explain the absence of the United States in end time prophecy, including such things as an economic collapse and an electromagnetic pulse attack. The first half concludes with the presentation of a pre-tribulation rapture. Let's go now to that section. The rapture is a wonderful event that's been prophesied in Scripture. It's the catching up of the saints. Jesus is coming to remove the church from the earth. The Scripture says that the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up with them. We will be changed from mortal to immortality. Uh, as fast as you can blink your eye, from mortal to immortality we will be changed. The rapture is going to give us a glorified body. The rapture will, will remove the stain of sin from us. What I love so much about the scripture says, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. We will be with Him forever. Though critics of the term rapture say that there is no such word in the Bible, scholars tell us the origin of the term and why the idea of the sudden disappearing is in fact a biblical concept. Now this is the great promise. We call it the blessed hope because this is the Christ who went away who said, I'm going to come back and claim my bride. The problem is that the word rapture never appears in the Bible. But let's be reminded that we're reading for the most part today, at least in America, the Bible in English. Concepts are taught in the Bible whether the word appears or not. For example, the Trinity. That word's not in the Bible. Uh, we worship on Sunday. That word's not in the Bible. The concept of the triune God, uh, equal deity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is clearly taught in the Bible. The concept of the rapture in the Greek New Testament, in which it was written in in the first place, it's there. It's the Greek word harpazo, which means snatched away, caught away. Uh, so literally the phrase caught up, as it's translated in most English Bibles, is a reference to the rapture. Uh, there has to be a time according to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, when the dead in Christ are raised and the living are caught up. Paul called it a mystery. We don't know when it's going to happen. We know it's going to happen though. So while the body of believers is whisked away to be with Jesus in the clouds, the world below is thrown into total disarray and panic, such as the world has never known. Without a doubt, after an event like the rapture, the world would be left in absolute chaos. The global grief of losing loved ones to the unknown will be overwhelming and unlike anything the world has ever seen. The world will be left to wonder if this kind of event will happen again, and if so, when? And even worse, will they ever see their loved ones again? With the disappearance of a large percentage of the global workforce, 
Economies around the world will experience Depression-era drops as understaffed companies struggle to meet their production and financial projections. The unprecedented slowdown of demand for products and services will plunge the nations of the world into economic collapse. The environmental effects will also be catastrophic, as several hot spots on Earth will surely suffer accidents. Nuclear reactors will leak insurmountable amounts of radiation, contaminating streams, rivers, and the atmosphere, much in the way that Fukushima and Chernobyl did. But even worse. The world will be looking for, for some hope because there's going to be absolute chaos. I mean, it, it, airplanes will crash, cars will crash. Uh, all kinds of things are going to collapse. There will be absolute anarchy. And there'll have to be military law everywhere. The years that follow will be the darkest time that humanity has ever known, as the wrath of God is poured out over a rebellious and sinful world. Inevitably, those left behind will ask, why did they disappear? Joining me now is Professor of World Religions, Christopher Nielsen. Professor, the word rapture keeps being thrown around, and since most of those people the that have disappeared were The groundwork for mainstream deceptive explanations of what actually happened at the time of the rapture has been in the works for quite some time. There have been so many explanations that have been presented, and obviously the last 24 hours has been unprecedented in human history. And so we have to look at these different explanations, whether they be alien abductions or a collision of dimensions coming from the scientific community. But my particular background is as a religious scholar, so I want to look at it from that perspective. And people who have been followers of the New Age movement, for example, have been saying for decades now that we are entering a new phase of evolution as human beings and that this uh, evolution would be spiritual rather than physical. The quickest answers and explanations will come from minds that have been molded by decades of Hollywood's blockbuster science fiction that has introduced creative concepts like the transporter beam, alien abductions, and even portals to other dimensions into the world's collective psyche. Back in the early 70s, I was mesmerized by the New Age movement leaders who began to step forward and say, the masters of the universe have spoken to us and they have told us that a time is coming when they're going to take out of this world all who live by faith so that those who live by reason can continue in their evolutionary development. And I tell you, the moment the rapture occurs, the leaders of the New Age movement will step forward and say, we told you this back in the 1970s. The masters of the universe have taken them out. Those who live by reason will now move on in their evolutionary development. And what about Hollywood and its obsession with extraterrestrial intelligence? Is there a larger deception brewing? a pre-indoctrination embedded into the psyche of the science fiction subculture. Fans who may find it reasonable and even comforting to someday believe that Christians were removed by something like the transporter beam of aliens. No doubt whatsoever that some will say, no, it's all alien activity, that the aliens have pulled these people off the earth. Yes, that'll be one of the explanations, no doubt about it. The second half of the video covers the seven years of the tribulation and it presents that period of time in great detail. Here's how that section opens with a focus on the rise of the Antichrist. In the vision of St. John in Patmos, when the first seal was opened, 
he saw a white horse and rider that came forth conquering. Worth noting, though, he was given a crown. This conqueror was permitted to have a kingdom on earth for a time. The Bible calls the rider of the white horse of Revelation the lawless one, the son of perdition, the man of sin. His more common and recognizable name, the beast, the Antichrist. The white horse itself is likely an allegorical part of John's vision. But scholars agree it represents a future political leader unlike any that the world has seen. A man with impeccable political, diplomatic, economic, and military savvy. He will be a man of arrogance, defiant of God. And yet, he will have a cultic effect on billions worldwide. Well, I think that the white horse is, uh, and the rider, is the Antichrist, and he goes forth to conquer. The thing we got to keep in mind is that the Antichrist is going to rise to power in Europe, but he's going to rise to power peacefully in Europe. He's going to be um, come to power as a result of his charismatic personality, his dynamic personality, his great wisdom. After all, he's going to be empowered by Satan. So he's going to have supernatural knowledge, and he's going to be able to rise to power, take over the European Union, and uh, uh, dominate. The majority of prophecy scholars agree that the final week of Daniel's prophecy will begin the moment the breaking of the first seal brings about the revelation of the Antichrist. This period of seven years is what scholars call the Tribulation, a time of judgment over a rebellious world that has repeatedly chosen to reject God. The moment the Antichrist is revealed, and as he lays down the groundwork for world domination, he will make a peace accord with the nation of Israel. The rule of the Antichrist will last for seven years, according to the aforementioned prophecy in the book of Daniel. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. What is the start of the tribulation period? It is the signing of a covenant of peace with the nation of Israel that is clearly explained in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. And in that passage, we see that there will be a peace agreement signed that will allow the Jews. But who is the signatories? Who, is the, who are the participants? Well, first of all, it's the nation of Israel because they're finally going to get to rebuild their temple. Most people think the covenant is a peace treaty. I would agree with that. If the war of Ezekiel 38 and 39 occurs soon, which it probably will, then somebody is going to march in with an idea on how to get peace, and it's going to be agreed to. He is actually a human being indwelt by Satan. And the Antichrist comes on the scene as a result of the chaos of the rapture, as a result of the carnage of this Ezekiel 38-39 war, and he's the man with the plan. He has a dynamic, charismatic personality. He's going to become Time Magazine's Man of the Year, win the Nobel Prize. He is the Antichrist. And you know, many people have tried to figure out who the Antichrist is going to be. And I always jokingly say that if you ever figure out who the Antichrist is, then you've been left behind. Because the Bible's clear that he cannot come upon the scene until the restrainer, which is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, is taken out of the way, according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And so having said that, 
the church is going to be gone. The truth is we cannot know who he's going to be. But we can say because of the other indicators which we've previously discussed, Israel being back in the land, the coalition of Muslim nations to come against Israel, etc., etc., that he is alive right now at this point in time. But we don't know who he is, and we cannot know. Now, he is going to be the one who will ultimately uh, seemingly appear as a lamb, and yet he is a lion. He virtually will come with uh, soft-spoken language, a dynamic, charismatic. Everybody's going to follow him because they think he is so wonderful and so forth, but he turns. He turns and he begins to pour out his wrath. That is the wrath of Satan against not only the nation of Israel and the Jewish people, but also against those people who come to saving faith in Christ during that tribulation time after that covenant is signed. The first series of judgments in the book of Revelation are called the seal judgments. They represent the conventional war of the Antichrist as he goes forth to conquer the world, and they result in the death of one-fourth of mankind. It appears that this war morphs into a nuclear war called the trumpet judgments, which result in the death of one-third of those still left alive. The trumpet judgments are even worse than the seal judgments. Now, the trumpet judgments begin by one-third of the earth being burned. Just think about that. One-third of the earth is burned, one-third of the trees and all the grass is burned up. Now, God certainly has the power to do that, but it could also be nuclear. It's entirely possible that some of the nuclear weapons that exist today may account for the fact that one-third of the earth will be burned up, one-third of the trees and all the grass on planet Earth. When you think about the past, we've, we've witnessed what a single nuclear weapon can do to a single city. But imagine one-third of the Earth. It's catastrophic when you think about it. In those times, the end times when he's going to come back, men will faint from fear and from the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. To me, that's the splitting of the atom. I think he is that's a foretelling of nuclear war to come, and I think we're seeing that here when one-third of the earth is burned up. In the middle of the tribulation, the Antichrist goes to the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem, probably to dedicate it. But when he enters the temple, he suddenly declares himself to be God to the horror of the Jewish people. The forces of the Antichrist militarize the temple. Animal sacrifices cease immediately. The priests and the Sanhedrin are likely imprisoned or executed. And then the biggest desecration in biblical history will begin. A statue of the Antichrist is erected in the Temple of Jehovah. 2 Thessalonians 2 says, sets up his image in the Temple of God, claiming to be God. This is why he's, he, you know, he can't do it in the mosque, you know, uh, there in Saudi Arabia. He's, he, he wants to claim to be the God of the Bible, you see, and he sets his image up in the temple. Well, he couldn't do that before with the two witnesses, you see. The false prophet with his demonic powers animates the statue, making it appear as if it has come to life by giving it the appearance of a being who breathes. And the Antichrist is credited with this demonically miraculous hoax. The eyes of the world watch live on network television channels and social media outlets as in unison. An incredulous and idolatrous world slowly begins to view the Antichrist as a deity. The decree goes out that anyone who does not bow and worship the beast is to be killed. 
This is the abomination of desolation. The Antichrist declares himself God over the earth inside the temple of Jehovah. When the Jews reject the Antichrist claim to be God, he responds furiously, determined to annihilate them from the face of the earth. This produces a mass exodus of the Jews from Israel into the modern-day state of Jordan. Jesus said when his Jewish brothers see the desecration of the, of, the, of the altars, he said, flee. And so Jewish people escape out of Jerusalem into the wilderness. And as they flee there, God will have a place of protection for the Jews that can make it there during the tribulation. God promises to protect the Jewish people in the wilderness for three and a half years. Now, I suspect they're going to go to a place perhaps like Petra, which is a secure location out in the wilderness. And it's about, uh, you know, 70 or 80 miles from Jerusalem, south of Jerusalem. This is modern-day Jordan. Many scholars believe that at the beginning of the Antichrist's persecution of the Jews, this is where the remnant will hide, in the city of Petra, a city carved into the mountains by the ancient Nebataean kingdom. The Nebataeans are a mysterious, enigmatic people with a vast known commercial empire around the 4th century BC. Archaeology tells us that a few short years before the birth of Jesus, the Nebataeans built Petra in a hurry and for no known reason. An even bigger mystery is why they chose this particular location. Petra is a wilderness community that is surrounded by mountains and rocks, so it's a good place to stay secure. And I think it's key that Jesus said mountains because in Daniel's prophecy, Daniel 11, he talked about three cities that would not come under Antichrist's influence, Edom, Ammon, and Moab, those three regions. The city is literally hidden in a gigantic cleft in a rock. Its only access to the city, which in modern day exists as magnificent ruins, is a small five-meter-wide crack that runs 1,200 meters in length. On either side, 100-foot-tall cliffs flank the entrance. And the way that the book of Revelation puts it is that the earth is going to swallow up Israel. In other words, in a friendly way, the earth is going to bring Israel to this place of safety. One thing is for certain. Petra is defendable and remote. The Jewish remnant can be safe there from any land-based assault. And while modern technology would make it feasible to attack them from the air, biblical scholars believe that God will keep them supernaturally safe from any aggression of the Antichrist. The tribulation is brought to a close by the return of Jesus, at which point the surviving Jews on earth receive Him as their Messiah. At that very moment in time, the climax of the history of Israel and of the entire history of creation, only second to the resurrection of Jesus, unfolds. The skies over the nation of Israel are split open, and in the most glorious sight that human eyes have ever seen on earth, an army led by the supreme commander of the universe, Jesus Christ, once and for all, finishes off all the enemies of God. It says, in the book of Isaiah that when the Lord returns, He's not going to come first the Mount of Olives. He's going to go to a 
a, a place in Jordan where the Jewish people are. He's going to pick up the Jewish remnant and bring them with him together with the church and go to the Mount of Olives. Jesus comes back at that moment with his bride, the church, at his side. And they're going to be posed for battle, but then the Lord will come and there will be no battle of Armageddon. The idea of a battle of Armageddon is, is, uh, is a myth. There is no battle. The Lord simply arrives on the Mount of Olives. He speaks a supernatural word. This is the one who spoke and the whole universe came into existence and it says that they will die instantly. It's like a, a neutron bomb goes off. It says that their eyes melt in their sockets, their tongues melt in their mouths, their skin drops from the body, and it's instantaneous victory. We are coming back with Christ, comprising the armies of heaven to go into what's called the thousand-year millennial kingdom. Millennia of rebellion from his enemy, Satan. Jesus will subdue him and bind him to be permanently dealt with one day. Right here, the lion's share of God's end-time plan is fulfilled. Israel's heart is turned to Jesus. The book of Zechariah says that two-thirds of the Jewish people are going to die during this uh, seven-year period. And, but the, the point of it is not that God hates the Jewish people. He wants to bring the Jewish people to repentance. God is going to have to bring them to the end of themselves, just like He brought me to the end of myself and many other Christians to the end of themselves before they would turn to Him. And so by the time they get to the end of the tribulation, they will have been so persecuted and so brought to the end of themselves that the moment that Jesus appears in the heavens, they will look upon Him whom they pierced. They will weep and well and mourn as one weeps over the loss of an only son, and they will receive Him as their Lord and Savior. The video concludes with a strong evangelistic appeal that is presented by Gary Frazier. No person, and let me be clear about this, no person, Jew, Muslim, anything else, is able to have a saving relationship with God unless they come through the person and work of Jesus Christ. We don't make it the rules, we just obey what the Word of God says. Now, having said that, many times people are offended by that. They say, wait a minute, you're saying because I'm a Jew and because I don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, then I'm not going to go to heaven? Again, I didn't say that. He said that. Your argument is with Him. He's the one who makes the rules. And that's why it's important to understand that one day we will each meet Him and we will give an account for our lives. And so whether, whatever religion you choose, here's the, here's the wonderful news. God gave us a free will. We get to choose. I get to choose. You get to choose. But make no mistake about it. Every person chooses. And there are only two choices. It's either Christ or the world. My friends, over the years I have found that many people fear the book of Revelation because they say it's full of really bad news. But that bad news is only for those who have stubbornly resisted God's gift of grace in Jesus the Messiah. For those who have put their faith in Jesus there is only good news, the news that we win in the end. My friends, Jesus is returning very soon. And the crucial question for you is, are you ready? Will Jesus return as your blessed hope or your holy terror? It will be one of the two, and the choice is yours. The Bible says that the only reason Jesus has not returned is because God wants more people to be saved. God does not wish that any should perish, but He leaves the choice up to you. If you have never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I urge you to do so today, this very moment. Just cry out to God, repent of your sins, and receive Jesus as your Savior. 
Well, folks, that's our program for this week. I hope it's been a blessing to you. Until next week, the Lord willing, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. You can secure a copy of the Apocalypsis video from our ministry for a donation of $25 or more, including the cost of shipping. Place your order through our website at lamblion.com or call the office at the number you see on the screen. If you call, please do so between Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Central Time. The running time of the video is 3 hours and 45 minutes. The first half focuses on the signs of the times that point to the fact that we are on the threshold of the tribulation. The second half takes you through the book of Revelation, chapter by chapter, showing the horror of the great tribulation that lies ahead for those who have rejected the grace, mercy, and love of God which He expressed in His Son, Jesus. Again, the video can be yours for a gift of $25 or more, including the cost of shipping. Either place your order through our website at lamblion.com or call our office at the number you see on the screen. Call Monday through Friday between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. Central Time. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 